Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yes. how you doing? We're, uh, we're guest free. Yeah, we are. That's we right. We've had guests the last two weeks or three? Well, let's see. We had Sam. Sure. And thank you to him. Yeah. We had, who did we have before that? Oh, we had Matt. Yeah. And we had, oh, uh, shoot, I don't remember. When do we have Scott? That was 401, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're missing someone in there. I think so. I can't remember, you know. <laughs> it should be noted, by the way, uh, I have an excuse because I'm sick, as the listeners might be able to tell. My voice well, my is little, excuse is that rough. we're all, I'm all thrown off here. Yeah, we're, we're recording, recording. We usually record a few days before. Yeah. Uh, the episode goes up, we're recording almost a full week yeah. before you're actually hearing this this time. When we do stuff like this, do you find yourself like really worried that there will be a major development in the next three days that we are not addressing? And people I mean, will be like, wow, I, they really are off the mark here. No, because we're, we, we're saying it. Um, <coughs> I actually, no, I don't find myself worried about that. I find myself thinking that'd be interesting if that happened. Yeah. But uh, it does not worry me, no. Okay, good, good. Um, so anyway, you, you, you probably know, um, okay. So yeah, we had Sam, we had Matt, we had Scott, we had Scott. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we had Matt Champagne. Oh, right. Okay. That's right. We had Scott um, two weeks in a row. So yeah, we haven't done an episode, just the two of us since November 10th. Oh, I've well, missed I guess you. we would have recorded it earlier than that. Uh, yeah. So welcome to just the regular, regular BP. Yeah. Nuts and bolts. Uh huh. Um, Anyway, I've been seeing a lot of movies, as you know. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about those movies in the next movie journal. We're taking a week off from the movie journal because uh, we just can't fit it in. Yeah. Um, there's no guarantee. Look, it's already stress enough to guarantee one regular numbered canonical episode a week. At our level of quality, I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, we will do the movie journals when we can. Yeah. Uh, I don't want any angry emails about no movie journal. We'll, People we'll do seem there. to be enjoying them, which is... They do, and I re- I'm really enjoying them. And you see, one person has taken to, co- on the, in the comments yeah. on the website... Appropriating but, what we're doing and making it his. Yeah, I think that's great. I think they should. I think we should all do that. I think... I, I wish... I, I know that, in general, internet comments are the worst. The scum of the earth. Yeah, they're pretty rough. But we have a great listenership, and I wish that people commented more because we get a lot of we just got a great email today yeah. about um it was about a bunch of stuff actually that we had yeah. said what was it about in particular about exodus yeah gods and that's, kings that's that's the the main one. um and i thought it was a fantastic email you know you email them back i emailed them back but a part of me wished like that he had just posted it as a comment exactly. so that more people uh could participate yeah don't anyway. junk up our unless it's personal don't junk up our email boxes is what you're saying yeah Put it out there for everyone to to, to weigh in on. <laughs> exactly. Although maybe they maybe you know this this guy who has uh, I believe emailed us before and uh, is a, is a, a beloved listener. Um, yeah. He uh, perhaps he has a low view of comments as we do and is like I don't want to <laughs> I want to open this up to the two guys I know not the thousands I don't. But our our listeners are good people. For the most I agree. Part. I agree. Um, speaking of which, we got another postcard. I'll get hey, to my thing right. in a second. Um, and we actually got, we had this last week and I, it was at the bottom of my bag and I forgot about it. You son of a bitch. Um, but our friend Nate, uh, who lives, uh, in town here. Oh, okay. Um, who does the after school special screenings. Are you on that mailing list? I think I am. Actually. I'm on that mailing list. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where you can look that up. Uh, look up after school special. You're going to have to 
filter through a lot of yeah. noise to get to the signal well, there. But do that and then uh, Nate and it and would, Nate. Yeah, and there it'll you probably go. pop up. Anyway, uh, he sent us a postcard with the um, cover of the Battle of Algiers movie. Have you seen that film? Uh, yeah, I saw it at the Music Box in Chicago. Oh, nice. Uh, it's wonderful. Have you seen it? I have. Okay. I saw it on my computer screen here. Uh, not quite as exciting. <laughs> not, yeah, not the same experience. Um, and he said, Nate says, hey, David, this is referencing a conversation we had a few weeks ago. Okay. When Scott was on the first time, I think. It's a, he said, hey, David, <laughs> booby talk makes me uncomfortable, too. Both of you guys keep doing you. Nate. Uh, so uh, thanks, um, uh, Nate. I'm, you both agreed with me on the idea that being purient makes us uncomfortable, and you made me say a word that I hate saying. Yes, well done. Uh, well at done. the same time, it was. Uh, he didn't say to read it aloud. That's true. That's true. So that's you. You did that to yourself. That's true. Hoisted uh, by your own petard, Dave. That's exactly what just happened. Um, so. I haven't seen a lot of movies. Okay. Now, I like to... I don't do it all the time because sometimes i got a place to be, like tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Okay. Just making uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't do it all the time, but I, I do like to sit through the credits, especially if I enjoyed a movie sure. or if uh, often if, like with The Gambler, if it had a lot of songs that I like, then I want to, yeah. you know... If there was one that I couldn't quite place, you know, yeah. I want to sit there and be like, oh, that was Billy Bragg and or it, whatever. And it does allow uh, the... the the music, if if you whether you like it or not, it does allow it to kind of wash over you at right. the end. It's the closest thing we have to like an overture or anything like that these days. But here's, and I need you to tell me if I'm just being a rigid stick in the mud, okay, or if I'm right here. All right, it could be the answer to both is yes. Okay, um, it's great that you, it's great that other people want to sit through the credits. It's mm-hmm. respectful to the cast and crew, sure. You know, and the all the below the line people. Um, but if you're just chatting about the movie while the credits are rolling or checking your phone while the credits are rolling, you don't get credit for having for sitting for the movie. Take that shit to the lobby and let me sit here and enjoy the credits. You know, like personally, I don't like when people talk during trailers, but if they talk during trailers and then they shut up, that's fine. I'm not going to judge that person. Yes. Yes. It's, I agree. You know, that's fine. But the credits is still the movie. And I know that I'm. Maybe I'm splitting hairs, and maybe, again, I'm being just overly rigid, narrow, dogmatic. Uh, I agree it is still the movie because the director chose... He he probably chose the font of the credits. He chose what music would be playing over it. Yeah. Um, and and in, so, in some cases, he chose, chose, you know, in movies like the the Lego movie, which I finally saw, mm. it doesn't have just a normal credit roll. It has, you know, there's different colors yeah. and stuff like... It's part of the movie. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I'm not somebody, I don't always sit through the credits and I don't require that people do that. Uh, I don't no, think I don't, that's okay, a big deal, but people. if you're going to, then, yeah, then no, do that. Yeah. Like, like, uh, it's not like a deep, like Mike Airman trout says on breaking bad, no half measures. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. If you're going to stay through the credits, stay through the credits. Or as Nucky Thompson it, says, uh, or I guess it's Jimmy Darmody says on boardwalk empire, you can't be half a gangster. That's that's true. You can't be half a credits watcher. Indeed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know what? Utilize the comments to tell me if I'm right. Uh, but to me, that's not the that's not the place because it's not only are you talking about the movie, mm-hmm. right? That you just saw, right? Which is what you're supposed to do after you see a movie out in the lobby on the way to the car in the car. Sure. Um, <coughs> uh, and I like that when you and I used to go to movies together back when in Springfield, Missouri. 
you had a rule where you can't talk about the movie until you're in the car. That's true. And I have found with my wife that that is, we never agreed on that, but that seems to be the way things have gone. We don't, <coughs> we generally don't talk about the movie until we're in the car. Um, anyway, that's not the point. Not only people talk about the movie, but because they're talk, having conversations about the movie while music is blaring, yeah. they're shouting at each other about the movie. Yeah. It's like, just go out to the lobby. You're not getting anything out of sitting through the credits here. Just go outside. And chances are... Take it to the corridor. Is that, is that a section of, of song? <laughs> Take it to the corridor. Um, yeah, and also, and this is going to sound probably mean, but I'm sick, so I, I don't really have much of a filter. <laughs> free pass, free pass. Um, is uh, probably your stupid opinions... Uh, like now I have no choice but to listen to them. Like yeah. when people are talking on the way to their car, I, I can tune that out if I need to. Yeah. Whereas if I'm there and they're there and they're, they, by necessity, they need to shout. And so now I can't drown out what they're saying at a time when I'm still processing. And so now their dumb opinion is getting absorbed into mine. Right. And either their opinion might be fine, but it probably isn't. Um, or, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, it's sometimes it's not their opinion. It's who they know who was in the movie oh, or helped make the movie. Yeah. Say, I don't need that. But I guess that's why they're sitting to the credits is to point out, here's my friend's name. Right. You know what? That I, after watching inherent vice and our, uh, we have a friend who is the, the art director, um, that happened with us. We were watching. We she did a great job. She did do a great job. Yes. Um, and, uh, and we didn't say like, Hey everybody! That's it was. Oh, I didn't know she worked on this, and we oh, should cool. have we should have <laughs> known because uh, she worked on the other, the last two P.T. Anderson movies. But uh, but yeah. So um, I'll say this: this is not a hill I'm going to die on. Um, when it comes to the things that I will like uh, get, I get angry that. about, when I get it comes that. to uh, film watching etiquette, like the big one is like no cell phones and don't talk. Right. Um, now I guess this falls under don't talk, but at the same time, like I'm a bit more, I'm slightly more forgiving of this than when plot is happening and that sort of thing. Okay. I don't know. I feel like the, the spell has been cast and it doesn't lift until you're either the lights. Well, I guess the light, the lights come on during the credits, which is, they I don't do. like. Yeah. So either the end of the credits or when you've left the theater, that's when the spell lifts and you can talk again. Oh, it, if it were up to me, like the minute the lights go down, everyone shuts up. And I know right. that there's commercials and I know that there is, uh, you know, your now your feature presentation or the coming attractions. And then there's trailers. I don't like, because it's all <laughs> such an experience for me and yeah. I, and I hold it in a certain degree of uh, reverence. Um, I want people to shut up the whole time. Uh, frankly, I'd kind of <laughs> like it if people just in life shut up. Um, <laughs> Me too. If we could all walk around in Disneyland can in I, just a stony silence, that would be wonderful. Um, can I quickly be a hypocrite before we move on? Sure. Now, this isn't the same because I didn't talk during the closing credits. But recently, my wife and I went uh, to a Regal Theater. We did a double feature. Okay. We saw two movies, you know, walked around a little bit. Went saw another, we saw a movie, walked around a little bit, saw another movie. Um, and I don't know when was the last time you were at a Regal Theater. Gosh, I, uh, it's been a while. But they're like Regal Cinema's thing, mm. right? The conceit is it's a point of view that you're on a roller coaster in space, except instead of a roller coaster tracks, it's film. Oh, okay. And so you're going and then it like looks like, oh, like, oh no, you're going to hit that Sour Patch Kids box, but then you make a hard left. Oh, okay. Or you see a popcorn kernel, then it explodes in front of you just before you take a big dip. Um... The second time, because we were already like familiar with it, 
Uh, Did you well, act like it was a roller coaster? Just very quietly, mostly to ourselves, but I'm sure people near us could hear us I'm going down. like, whoa, watch out. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, that probably annoyed people, but we shut up before the trilogy started, so I'm sure they got over it. That's a, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> Plus with it's that. adorable. So there's that. As is often the case, what is adorable to one couple, <laughs> I, I will relate to it in the sense like, I don't think it's adorable, but Jen and I have our own things that are to us adorable that other people would find remarkably annoying, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, incidentally, when I went and saw uh, Exodus Gods and Kings recently uh, behind me, you know what? Here's the thing. Talking to other people during the movie is unforgivable. Looking at your phone and having that blinding light yeah. uh, is also unforgivable. I think the literal worst is talking on the phone. And there was a guy right behind me who, to his credit, he was trying to be quiet. But that only shows me that you know this is bad. Right. And you're doing it anyway. And it's just like, oh, I hated it so That's much. That's funny. that I didn't have anyone talking on the phone. But there was a guy talking behind me during Exodus, Gods, and Kings. Talking to his girlfriend or wife or whatever. And, like, he... I think it was just like the pitch or timber of his voice that I think he was trying to whisper or trying. He was trying to be quiet, but was unable to. And I don't think because I want I told my friend, our friend uh, Patrick, who I saw it with um, I afterwards that I wanted to turn around and be like, motherfucker, do you think you're whispering? Yeah, this is that's not what's happening. It's cutting through everything because of your the bass in your voice. I'm sure I have told this story on the show before, but it's probably been a while. So <clears throat> years ago when I saw Cold Mountain, so it's been a while at this point, I went and saw it with my uh, dearly departed friend, Willie, who is a very large man. He was like 450 yeah. pounds. And uh, there was a guy behind us <clears throat> who got a phone call, took it, and was and was whispering, but he was saying like, he goes, hey, oh, no, I, I'm in a movie. Yeah, no, Cold Mountain. You know, and just all that. Uh and and wh- who's the asshole on the other end yeah. who said, "Oh, what movie? Oh, what movie? Was it good? How is it? Yeah, <laughs> what? A, uh, what? A, that? Uh, yeah, that guy might be worse. Actually. That's the real villain yeah. of the story here. If, if I called someone and they said I'm in a movie, I would hang up. Right, and then I would wait two hours. Yeah, call them call and be them like, "What is your fucking problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so, uh. But anyway, so the conversation wraps up. But then he gets it going again, and he and he says, "So what? Uh, what are you guys doing later? Okay, now where is that?" And so my friend Willie, who was who was a very large man, like uh-huh. I said, he had a shaved head, but he he retained his sideburns. If that's an, and he was like four hundred fifty pounds, it's a good look, big guy. Um, and he just leaned back very casually and said, "Hey, dude, if you don't get off that phone, I'm gonna sho- shove it up your fucking ass." <laughs> and then the guy's like. I gotta go. And that little, I gotta go was a nice button on the whole story. But, uh, but yeah, so I, and that's the thing is I'd be afraid to do that. Although it didn't stop me from yelling at those kids in the Avengers, but, um, I I would be reluctant to do that because I feel like I don't have, I don't have like a scary voice. Right. Uh, although maybe I do now at the moment, but, uh, nor do I have like the physical heft to really back that up. Like, I remember hearing a story on Never Not Funny that Matt Belknap, who has a deep voice, uh-huh. he yelled to someone to stop talking, and he so he said, shut the fuck up. And, like, Matt has a deep voice. If he says, shut the fuck up, you're like, oh. Like, if you can't see him, you think, watch out. Right. Uh, recent uh, prison escapee is telling me to be quiet. 
the flip side is if somebody like Mike Schmidt, who I don't think has a particularly intimidating voice, but certainly is a is a, an intimidating man, uh, if he tells you to shut up, then it's like okay, I will. I'm you know what I'm going to go home and go to bed now. Um, I'm neither of those, and so I feel like I can't. I'll try to be respectful and try to say like, I'm sorry. Can you please be quiet? Right. Uh, did I you tell know- you the story? I probably did not tell you the story of when I saw Into the Woods. Because I can't no. stand when people make Because you can't during... talk about Into the Woods right now. I can talk about the screening. Right, but I'm saying... <clears throat> right. I'm just, okay. Saying, you can't I will tell this movie. story real quick. I know we've got things to talk about. I apologize. But this is a, uh, a story I think you will enjoy. Okay. So, uh, Jen and I go ahead and see a critic screening of Into the Woods. When you go to a critic screening, that's when I'm particularly unforgiving of people talking and making noise. Yeah. Because, like, we're all there for a purpose. Right. Um, and so this guy sitting in front and, you know, I'll, I'll cut him a certain degree of slack. Sometimes people just mess with stuff like just absentmindedly. And so he brought a bottle of water uh-huh. and so he was drinking it. It's fine. Except at one point he dropped it and rolled down the aisle. And so he had to go chasing it like a, you know, like in Miller's Crossing. <laughs> nothing, nothing more ridiculous yeah, than a man chasing his water bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I like that we had the same thought. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so he finishes the water. Okay, Fine. It wasn't it, that until he dropped it. It wasn't even an issue, uh, except now he's fucking with the bottle and it's crinkling like a bottle does. Yeah. Is he that? And un- it's unaware. Probably. Uh, Jeez, and just and so it was distracting me. And it, and I noticed it was distracting Jen as well. Like she was looking at. Him. So after a certain and then I noticed like, OK, I'm now not paying attention to the film. Like I'm paying attention to when he's going to stop making noise, which it will probably be never. So I lean forward and that's the thing. He just, he just heard a voice in his ear. Uh Like I gave no indication of what was about to happen. And I said, Hey, can you stop fucking with that bottle? (laughs) (laughs) And he immediately, he jumped as I would. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. And then I lean back. And about three seconds later, I lean forward. I go, I'm sorry for swearing. <laughs> and so, but then I got really self-conscious. Cause like, you know, I shouldn't have sworn. I should have just said, Hey, can you please stop that? You know, cause I didn't give him any warning. So anyway, after the movie was over, he and I both jump up uh-huh. and turn towards each other. And he goes, he goes, Hey man, I'm so sorry. And I said, I said, I'm sorry. I was impatient. And we shook hands and like, we, we both like, we shook hands and like held each other's arm with the Uh other hand. And so it was a really nice moment. Like civility won the day. And I felt bad that I led with, can you stop fucking with that bottle? Uh, but it, uh, but I thought you'd appreciate that story. Well, that's, you know, the one time I did, I did it perfectly was at the Hurt Locker. Okay. It was like the screening started like. 11 15 p.m on like a tuesday night and it was the hurt Locker's initial run yeah so no one was there was like three people in of the course theater. yeah yeah um and one guy two rows ahead of me kept just pulling out his phone every few minutes pulling his phone looking at it and yeah. running away and so i got up i was in the middle of the row he was in the middle of the row too got up walked to the end walked down two rows walked up while he's looking at his phone he doesn't see me coming oh boy I lean over. I put my hand on the chair on the chair. Okay, yeah, like right oh, behind him, and I leaned that's in. Nice. And I, I didn't say anything mean. I just like said, "Hey, could you do me a favor and stop playing with your phone?" Like, yeah. And uh, yeah, he jumped. Oh, of course. And, um, apologized, but I didn't. I, I think I did it right because I didn't lose my temper. I was very friendly, but I made it clear 
what I wanted him to do. Yeah, and I, I think the uh, I think probably the hand on the chair was a little bit <laughs> a little bit strong army. I think that's what I was going for. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, like an old gangster kind of thing. Like, oh, hey, it'd be a shame if something happened to that phone. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so okay. Um, oh, I wanted to tell one more story because you were talking about the crinkly bottle. Yes. Okay. One final story. All right. Harry Potter seven point one seven and a half, whatever you call sure, sure. the second one. Oh, okay. All right. Harry, point two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Deathly Hallows Part Two. Um, now I won't give away spoilers, but there's a part at the end of the movie, near the end of the movie, where something happens, and suddenly we're in a place for a long time where it's just two people, mm-hmm. and it's very, very quiet. There's no score in this point. Part. Okay, yeah. There's no one else around. It's just two people talking in the middle. It has been this big battle scene, and we've taken oh, a yes. break okay. from the scene for this extended, very important, and very quiet scene. Yeah. And the whole time during the scene, um, I'm hearing behind me, crinkle, 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 crinkle. And it was a theater that was like serious, like stadium seating. So I yeah. could look up and see, like, see the, so I just turned around and looked and it was a father and his son transfixed by the movie. Sure. Like it's, they weren't crinkling because they were distracted. They could not take their eyes off the movie, right. but the whole time they're reaching into their M&M's bag. Yeah. <sighs> when i went and saw nightcrawler this guy look i recognize that movie theaters offer nachos this guy ate them as though he was doing a bit about hey i'm playing i'm practicing to play this character at io west uh of the most inconsiderate man ever and just like <laughs> and but just, I saw that just going like, mm. yeah, I guess there was, I guess he could have verbalized it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we should pay some bills. He could right? have said like, man, that was a good nacho. I can't wait for the next one. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get to our ads. Oh man. We can't, we can't be laughing. Are you sure you don't, don't want me to read this one? Well, my germs are all over my phone, all so right, don't for, do it. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right, everybody, shut up and listen. This episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a lot of great movies available right now, among them... The Cabin of Dr. Caligari, the German Expressionist classic directed by Robert Wiener. Uh, I love that film, personally. Uh, it is... Uh, do you ever find... Uh, real, uh, real quick, I, I, I know we're in the middle of an ad, but this is something that, that fascinates me. Do you ever feel that when you watch an older movie, especially like a movie from the silent era, when movies are kind of new and, I have, this sounds mean, we, we think that they're unsophisticated? Um, do you ever find that you don't think you'll ever be surprised by one or you'll, mm-hmm. you don't think you'll ever be like, uh, uh, stimulated in, in a certain way. Like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari has a twist at the end. Okay. And when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is a really, you know, really good movie, uh, visually gorgeous, of course. Um, and then there's a twist at the end that makes you rethink the whole film. Not unlike a movie like the sixth sense. Um, and I remember thinking like, I didn't see that twist coming and now everything falls into place. And I lo- like, 
it had what I would venture to say is a modern sensibility. And mm-hmm. I found myself thinking like, man, these filmmakers had it figured out. Like, <laughs> good for them. Not all of them, of course, but just... Everything just, we've done since then in cinema is just window dressing. I, it would appear so. And it's, and it, it, I think it's, it's, you know, there's a, a certain degree of uh, uh, arrogance, I think, that we have as modern film goers that we we look back at that story of like oh people jumping out of the way of the train as it pulls into the station which i don't think is a true story i've heard that it is not true I mean, it doesn't sound true um but we were just like ah those people are so they were so dumb and all that but like you watch this this film and if you're if you're willing to go along with it and if you're willing to be engaged by it it can be every bit as exciting and mind bendy as as the sixth sense or any of these other uh, movies with, with a twist. And so anyway, all that is to say uh, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari is now available on movie. And so I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, There is also a special offer for listeners of battleship pretension. You can try movie free for a month. Just go to movie.com. That's M U B I.com slash battleship to redeem. Now Uh, also for listeners of battleship pretension, TweakedAudio.com is offering their professional quality earbuds and a variety of styles and colors. Uh, for listeners of Battleship Pretension at tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, mm-hmm. you get them uh, for one-third off their already low, low price and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. So, um, I can't believe we went this far into the podcast. We're trying to keep it short. Yeah. We're, we're a bunch of, we're a couple of idiots. Um, so, well, I'm <laughs> sick. Yeah. What's your excuse? I have no idea. I got to get up early in the morning. It's yeah. late. Uh, but I uh, I don't know how I would be able to sleep without us doing this episode. Something's Indeed. eating at me. Yeah. Something really got to me. Okay. There's a movie called Birdman. Yeah. Or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Um, Ignorance. <laughs> Ignorance. <laughs> Ignorance. <laughs> um, anyway, that's stupid. Uh, and, you know, you and I have differing opinions on the movie. I think you... You're all in, pretty much. You're a huge fan. Uh, um, I had some... Uh, I, I would say I liked it quite a bit, but I had some reservations about it. It is currently my... I'll say this. It's currently my second favorite movie of the year. Okay. Uh, up until recently, it was my first. And I wasn't thrilled with that. There were there have been movies that I've okay. felt very positively about, but there this have... This before you saw Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. That's the one. Yeah. Um, I did have a passionate response to it, if that's what you mean. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's not a film that I... Um, n- no film this year has been one that I just was just agog over and that I just absolutely loved. Like, Birdman was a film that resonated with me, and I, and I there was a lot of stuff that I loved about it, but as a, to- as a, a whole film, there are things that I really appreciated about it, and I would venture to... And I think I would say I loved it insofar as... If there was any movie I loved this year, it was that one until I saw the film that bumped it. And that is a film that I genuinely love and think okay. is amazing. And that's and a secret. So, and that's a secret, although if you follow me on Letterboxd, you can see what it is. Um, okay. I should probably not rank the movies, but that's, you know, whatever. Um, you can't help yourself. I can't help myself. And so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a film that I that I – I'm reluctant to say if I'm all in because I find it, uh, there are things that I can relate to okay. and things that I found very stimulating, but it's just, I, I still feel at a remove from it. Um, okay. Sorry, well, that not, that, sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, that more when, when we do our top 10, which yeah. for new listeners who might be expecting our top 10 to be coming any day now, yeah. uh, yeah. get comfy because we do our top 10 
um, the week before the Oscars. Yeah. And I think, uh, I guess there's plenty is, of year end stuff starting in January. Don't you worry? Yeah. On the, uh, yeah, on, on the podcast, on the website, especially January 1st to Oscar time at uh, Oscars. And even the week after the Oscars yeah. is all, we spent two months looking back on the previous year. Yeah. Um, and I, we started doing, I know this is off topic originally, but I, I like to every once in a while remind listeners, there might be new listeners. Um, we started doing that, I think, because when you and I started this, we didn't, we weren't getting press screenings. We didn't have a lot of yeah, we didn't money to go to the, or screenings or anything. And we didn't have a lot of money to go to the theater all the time. So we often needed the time to catch up. Yeah. Also, we started the podcast in March and our first episode that we never released was our favorite films of 2006. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure if that still exists anywhere. Probably not. I don't think so. Um, I remember Borat was on my list. Yeah. It made the top 10 for me. Your favorite of the year, I believe, was Inland Empire. It was at the time, yeah. And mine was uh, The Proposition. All right. Um, Anyway, what I'm saying is uh, now I like that we do it, you know, because you and I could have a better list now at the end of the year, but I still like having two months to catch up on all kinds of stuff because so many movies come out and i also think knowing that our listeners aren't yeah they're not los angeles and new york based a lot of them and a lot of them aren't critics who are getting to go to screenings for free or getting screeners it gives the listeners more time to catch up and then I i feel like it's more fun for everyone yeah and also we spend two months because the first two months of the year historically don't have a lot of great releases exactly um obviously sundance comes in there and we'll have Hopefully we'll have Matt uh, on the show if he can uh, get down there again. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, just wanted to <clears throat> every, every time around this year, I like to make that announcement <laughs> uh, for new listeners. We're not doing a year uh, best of uh, 2014 until uh, the week before the Oscars. Okay. Back to Birdman. <coughs> um, there's a character played by one of my personal favorite character actors act- or actresses, uh, Lindsay Duncan. She plays a theater critic, um, and both Edward Norton's character and Michael Keaton's character at different times have speeches with her, have scenes with her in which they sort of speechify uh, confrontationally. Edward Norton's is a bit more rakish and maybe even flirtatious, yeah. uh, and Michael Keaton just dresses her down. Yes. Um, but they both bring up the same idea about the difference between criticism and people doing the criticism and the people doing the thing being criticized. Right. Uh, <clears throat> that really caused me to think a lot um, about whether or not I agree with it. And uh, the main thing that they bring up is that the per- if the person going on stage, even if they're a bad actor, even if the play is terrible um, or they're making hacky choices, they're risking something. Yes. And a critic isn't. That's the point of view. I, um, it's, it's, again, I, I don't know that it actually struck home in the way that, um, a lightning bolt of truth would have struck home because I don't think I agree with that, but it did get me thinking. And that's why I want to do this conversation about mm-hmm. why do we do this? Why do, why do you and I want to be critics? Why do we spend so much of our time? Like we're not making a living off of this. We're finally at, you know, at seven and a half, going on eight years, we're 
making some money off of it. Yes. But we're not making a living off of it. Yeah. Um, like we are thousands of miles from quitting our day jobs to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but why, uh, well, let why me ask, do we think it's important? Let me ask you this. Um, are we, how, how are we talking subjectively in which the question is, why are you and I doing this? Or are we talking as objectively as we can, which is why does this thing have value? I think, I don't think we can separate them. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I think this is both. Okay. Um, I, and I, because it is, I mean, there's no, there's no objective answer. So it's all going to be our opinion to some extent. That's true. I mean, but I mean, at the same time, like I was defending criticism before I ever felt like I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and that's the thing is for me, uh, when I kind of made the switch, probably August of 2008, when I converted, one could say to critic, okay. um, critic, is that a date? critic, well, critic, what, what happened? We've been doing the podcast for a year and a half at that point. Almost what I was still, I still had aspirations of being a writer and that okay. sort of thing. But in the end, I found that doing the podcast was infinitely more fulfilling than, than, than writing or more specifically trying to write and not getting to. Um, and also at that point we'd had, an, we, we'd gotten enough listeners that people were emailing and saying very personal, very, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, just very impactful things talking about like the role that the show has had in their lives and that, and it's, ast- it was astounding to me. And I, because I think, and, and I was so reluctant to give myself over to the idea of being a critic, because as much as you and I defended against the idea of the critic as failed artist, which tends to be the standard idea of what a critic is. Um, right. It's, it's almost which you like you just gave some <laughs> fodder to what did I say? <laughs> saying oh, you wanted absolutely. to be a screenwriter. Absolutely. And- but that's the thing is I didn't say, well, I can't be a writer, so I guess I'll be a critic. It was, it was a conscious choice, but I was reluctant to make that choice precisely because I thought people would look at, well, you went to film school to be a filmmaker Right, right. You moved right. to f- Hollywood, found that it was very difficult, quit in order to do this thing where you judge people that actually continue to do it. Right. Um, but the fact is, I do. F- I, Battleship Pretension is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, same uh, here. I mean, it's it's a weird thing to say, given some of the, you know, I mean, you and I have been part of like theater productions that were remarkably rewarding um, and just and like in college, like I was, I made some films that I'm very proud of and all that sort of thing. Uh, but this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm proud of more than one lesson. Uh, but BP is like this thing. I feel like that is the, that's what's going to be on my tombstone. Uh It'll just say welcome (laughs) aboard, which will be weird for a tombstone. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. And I, and I have found it again, very fulfilling. And it has allowed me to meet people, artists, other critics, fans, and just and by, by which, uh, I mean like movie, other movie fans that I wouldn't have met otherwise. It's been very fulfilling, but, uh, that only came when I finally, it took about a month for me to be okay with the idea of, of being a critic. And, and what's interesting is once I, said, okay, this is what I am. The doors kind of flung open as to what that can mean. Because I was thinking, I, I had totally bought into, even though you and I defended against it, uh, even early on in the show, <clears throat> I had totally bought into the stereotype of, of the critic, which is 
They just sit, watch a movie, say if it's good or bad, the end. Um, but as time goes on, you come to realize, you know, you and I, when we saw Entrance, now, of course, we, we got to know the filmmakers and all that. But when we saw Entrance, we loved it. And we we don't have like a, a wide audience. We don't have like a, a huge uh, podium from which to, to shout things. But we have something of a, of a, of a pulpit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right. I saw entrance. No one knows about it. And I can at least make a few people know about it. Yeah. And so you have the, well, yeah, I did the same thing with white tiger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to a, to a somewhat lesser extent, but still some, what, uh, the expedition to the end of the world oh, was sure. something that I championed, which did get a release. So people did get to see that yeah. anyway. Go on. And so, uh, so you're able to champion movies that wouldn't be seen that that might not be seen otherwise, or people might not know about otherwise. I know that there are a num- there are a number of people that, uh, you know, emailed us or me after Entrance was uh, released on like Netflix and stuff, and they mm-hmm. said, "Hey, I watched it based on your guys' recommendation. I loved it," and they specifically said, "I would not have known about it had it not been for you guys." So I'm not saying what we're doing is important, but that is what a critic can do, and then especially that's part of it. That's, that's part of it. But especially for you and I living in Los Angeles. And at this point, I know a lot of filmmakers and actors and that sort of thing. And you can be in a rare position to, to directly encourage them. Cause I mean, it can be very discouraging living out here. And especially uh, at our level where I know a lot of people who are just starting out and getting a little bit of success, but also getting a lot of rejection and that sort of thing and feeling like, what am I doing wrong and all that? And it's like, well, here's, you know, a, here's some movies you can watch, uh, that kind of fit in with what you're trying to do. And it might give you some inspiration, but also, you know, in my case, it's like, I, I, I enjoy reading scripts and giving people notes on them and stuff like that. And it's just, there's a lot, there's a lot that you can do to encourage artists and to champion art and to challenge viewers and that sort of thing. So, uh, sorry that this turned into a much longer explanation than I expected. But once I embraced the term, I realized all the things that the term could mean, at least for me. So, sorry, I've been talking for a while. We can go into well, no, I mean, that's you in a moment. You talked about one of the main things, the idea. You talked about two of the main things. Um, the idea of sitting there and saying whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a critic as a sort of gatekeeper. Right. I don't know how much that, I mean, for certain people that who, that still means something. Sure. But I think post Roger Ebert, is there any critic who's actually, uh, serving that purpose to vast swaths of the American people? No. Um, I don't know how much that, I think that's become a much more minor part of the calling or whatever, the vocation, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that's still something. And then this idea of, yeah, shining a light uh, on, on stuff. I think that's very important. Um, but the other thing that really sticks with me uh, or sticks out to me is the idea at this point. Um, there's so many people who are writing reviews, writing criticism, doing podcasts, talking about movies. There are so many people who are um, professional critics or semi-professional or amateur or self-styled or, or yeah. you know all the way down to people just uh faking it until they make it sure. <laughs> um there's all different levels of of people doing film criticism i think um 
that has helped to dilute what I was talking about before, the idea of the gatekeepers, of there being a handful of respected critics that might not exist anymore. But what has replaced it, I think, um, is an ongoing conversation at multiple levels of society, multiple levels of class and intellect and all that about cinema. Mm -hmm. And anyone who wants to can find their way in. And uh, I think... The idea that there are more people taking more different kinds of cinema seriously is uh, really helpful mm-hmm. to our cause in general, whatever the things that we <laughs> that we believe in. You know, like, I mean, even it, when we started this, you and I didn't know that there was a slash film out there, no. which is, um, you know, a great resource for uh, that is. It, you know, spends a lot of, I was going to say ink, it's not ink, digital ink, I guess, um, covering films that you and I don't necessarily review or, um, I mean, that's not true. We have, you reviewed like Captain America, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Winter Soldier. Um, but uh, you know, uh, (coughs) films that we maybe overlook, um, Slash film was great for that. And I'm, not, it, I'm hearing myself say that and think like, it, it sounds like I'm saying that we're like an equal counterpart to slash film. Oh They're God. like a billion times more successful than us. Right. But what, what I'm saying is that they represent, um, a portion of cinephile, cinephilia that I hadn't really given much time uh, or consideration to, right. that I now realize is a huge part of cine, cinephilia. I yeah. stick with that. Um, that's what slash film made me realize is that there are people taking films seriously. They're they're taking certain kinds of films seriously that I wasn't because I lived in a sort of echo chamber of, um, you know, snobby film hipsters or whatever in Chicago. Uh, there wasn't a lot of talk about that kind of thing, yeah. you know? Um, you know, there, there weren't long conversations about, terminator 3 you know it was sort of talked about almost as like it was prematurely dismissed to a certain point like yeah. you know this isn't the real film we're talking about then we're gonna go instead we're you know let's a few jokes about terminator 3 and then what's the next uh i don't know 21 grams or whatever there you go like, i'm guessing those came out around the same time i can't remember those are both 2003 well done yeah, there we go um uh, which in retrospect, I think, uh, I've now, because I've become a less snobby film lover, I would watch Terminator three again, any day over subject myself to 21 grams again, which is yeah. a slog and, uh, a sort of full of shit, pretentious movie. Um, then we come full circle on, uh, the director whose name I've never learned how to pronounce in a Inaritu? Uh, I believe it's in Okay. It's got the little, uh squiggle over the end <laughs> the squiggle yeah, yeah. Um, i took several years of spanish you'd think i'd know what that's called <laughs> um yeah i am i've come around to not actually being a big fan of that filmmaker um and i don't know if and i think to a certain extent being uh you know the internet and this spreading of film criticism across so many different uh venues and levels of discussion and uh arenas mm-hmm. of uh of cinema uh has probably helped me become a more rounded um 
cinephile. And so I like to, I think that criticism is important because we're contributing to that. Well, and you know that you said something there at the end about being well-rounded. And I think that's part of the key is, you know, you watch, uh, Birdman and you watch, uh, Ratatouille and you have, and often depictions of critics, people seem to, now I, I do think that, uh, certainly I think Brad Bird in the, both films, by the way, sort of condemn certain attitudes of critics, but then actually give them the, give both critics the opportunity at redemption. Um, but what it seems to condemn more than the act of criticism, even though there is a, a lot of talk at that. I, I don't know. And this is not the conversation we're having. I don't know that Lindsay Duncan is redeemed. Well, not redeemed. Well, the thing is, okay, here's what I'll say is that both critics have a certain agenda. Um, and a critic certainly shouldn't have an agenda when they go in to see a movie or eat a meal or watch a play or whatever, aside from just, you know, um, assessing the piece on its own terms, which is right. But I guess sort of the difference is, again, we're, I know not everyone's seen Bird, Birdman. So the difference is in Ratatouille, which is even though I have my own problems with that film, this scene is done much better because mm-hmm. we get to see the person change their mind. We get oh, to see what does it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas because we only see the the, the outcome in yeah. Birdman, there's almost a sense of like gloating about it where she has gotten her comeuppance because she was proved wrong. She was pro- well, she was proved wrong, but she was willing to be proved wrong. So I feel like I think that, maybe that, you're that's, protecting that. That's not rede- but that's she went in saying I it doesn't matter if the play is good or not. Right. I'm going to bury it because I don't like what you're doing. If she, if the if the play if it was still a negative thing, if it was still viewed as uh, if if the review was still negative, then it's like all right, she stuck to it regardless of how co- committed he was to what he was doing, and it turned out he was. <laughs> Quite committed indeed, without uh, spoiling but, anything. But because we don't get to see her change her mind, we don't empathize with her. And oh. so the fact that uh, the fact that she says what she's that she's planning to give an awful review no matter what, yeah, and then she doesn't. It has a sense of like, haha, fuck you. We're so good, you couldn't even right. uh, do what you said you were going to do. And Whereas Ratatouille actually gets you in, literally gets you inside his head. Oh yeah, he's he's redeemed infinitely more than she is. But that and that and I might be bringing my own thing to it. This, but it's hard to know uh, at this point because I'm so f- I feel like I'm far removed from most people in the sense that like most people probably don't like the idea of critics and the idea of someone who says my opinion matters or whatever. And so they might feel, uh, sympathetic towards what Michael Keaton is saying to Lindsay Duncan. And so, uh, but that's the thing. So I bring this idea of, cause there are plenty of critics and plenty of people who they do decide they're not going to like something for whatever reason, because it will make them look smart because they have an agenda about what art should be. And this thing runs counter to that, that regardless of how the thing turns out, they're going to stick to their agenda. And the fact that she doesn't, it's, it's a triumphant for them, but to me, it's a triumph for her as well, but they're not, they don't allow her to have that triumph. Whereas Ratatouille definitely does. Um, 
But yeah, yeah in both, but I, both the point the is fact that, that both, you sympathize with her at all. Oh, I don't sympathize. I don't really. But, but the um, fact that you're able to give her the benefit of the doubt, I think mm-hmm. is maybe why you like the movie more than I do. I yeah. wasn't able, I, I, I sympathize with almost no character yeah. in that movie at all. And I think that's a big part of the problem. Perhaps the situation is that I empathize with her. Right. I don't necessarily sympathize, but the idea, I of, sympathize with the steady cam operator. That's right. Oh, I sympathize with the yeah, bird yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, uh, <laughs> that's funny um yeah it's uh and i will say this that the scene where michael keaton is dressing her down like we seem to you know we the audience seem to be we're meant to like applaud at the end of it i think um because like yeah you show her what for and and all that sort of thing um and i know that for myself because i am a deeply insecure person and even though you and i will argue in favor of criticism all day long and the role that it can play when I look at that. And then I see what a lot of critics, I mean, you and I, okay. I feel like your approach to criticism is spot on. (laughs) And if I'm being honest with myself, I think mine is spot on too. Okay. Uh, Because I think you and I approach, uh, try to approach it with humility as much as we can. Occasionally we will be facetious about somebody like a Christopher Nolan, uh, or in my case, uh, or, uh, let's say somebody like a Zack Snyder. Um, and then for me, uh, Tim Burton, I kind of get there with him too. So, um, so there is that and, and that's done more for humor than anything else, but maybe we shouldn't, we can maybe, moderate our tone a little bit unless of course we are genuinely frustrated by these filmmakers right. which we often are. i mean the rule of thumb that i struggle with um that i've heard more than one person say is that you should never write something about a movie that you wouldn't say to the director in person yeah um and i don't know if i really would sit down with uh in two and say that his movies are full of shit i don't know if i would use that term so maybe i'm a bit of a hypocrite yeah but i don't, I, know, I don't I do know if i would say that. to Zack snyder your movies are remarkably stupid but still interesting <laughs> um i don't know how you managed to pull that off but uh yeah it's it's a little rough but um but in the end uh it's and that's the thing but i don't think you would ever leave it there just as I wouldn't leave it at stupid but interesting. We would delve into, we'd go into more detail so that ultimately it winds up being constructive. Right. Um, and so, uh, I forgot what I was, oh yeah. So I do, I, if, if I may. You were telling to, me what a great film critic I am. That's what you were doing. What a great, what great critics we are, oh, David. right, right. Um, but that's the thing. I, I mean, I sit in those. I mean, I sit in those screenings uh-huh. and I overhear what the other critics are loudly saying, and it is frustrating to hear their tone. And it's frustrating because they do tend to act as though they are removed right. from the movies themselves, from the audience, certainly. And they just seem to be acting as though they are arbiters. And it's frustrating because like, and I, and I don't, but that's the thing. I don't look at that and say, well, that's the nature of criticism. That's what criticism does to a person. I just think that's them. And maybe there's more than a little bit of jaded Hollywood ism in there as well. Um, and maybe people feel like that's how we are, but I I try not to be. Um, I hate the impression I get with certain critics, both in screening rooms and on Twitter. Twitter is a good example. The idea that, the entirety of a movie can be summed up in yeah. with one pithy uh, observation or something. And to me, that's like, that's why you and I do two and a half hour episodes where we never come to a conclusion about anything because cinema can't be fit into any, yeah. uh, any small package. You know, even when I write a review of a movie, um, my point of view is that 
uh, here's I'm trying to I'm trying to to build an argument based on a few of the opinions that I have on a movie. Yeah. But, you know, there are things I leave out completely, oh, you sure. know, like because I just don't have room. And we talked about Interstellar. I didn't talk about James Cameron at all in my written review. Yeah. Um because I just went another way with it. Um but that doesn't mean because I, you know, put the period at the end and, you know, posted it on the website that my opinion of Interstellar is now final forever and there for people to see and yeah. there can be no question of it. Um, anyway, this has turned into us bashing other, other critics, which is not what I wanted. Uh, I wanted to celebrate criticism. Absolutely. Uh, but, and not but just I, talk about how we're better at it than most other that, critics, but we are, but that's not what this, this obviously, what I'm saying. Yes. Yes. That's not what this is about, but that's the thing is that is the difference. There is a difference between criticism uh-huh. and critics. And I think, just as the case is like there is a philosophy and then there's the people that practice it. Some people don't practice it well. And then people will take that and say, well, there's no point to this thing at all. If these people aren't going to practice right. it well, then what's the point? And, and so what we're talking about is like, why, why do we do this? And then why is it valuable in general? And again, I, I do feel bad. I feel like we're saying like, oh, we're so much better. There are a lot of gr- wonderful critics out there that I think are infinitely better than me. Um, me too. And it's very like I will occasionally read a review or an editorial that's so good that it will ruin my day. Oh, no question about it. It's, I, I get angry in the sense of like, how could you how could you even think that I have a brain? You have a brain. Uh-huh. We both have brains. How did yours arrive there <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> i guess i was just too busy you know trying to make a wheel or something being a caveman yeah. as i am yeah and it's just uh so yeah it, so but as as is the case with anything there are people that that i think put themselves out there as like the way they think of it is the definitive way and it's one of the reasons why it's so frustrating i want to get when i go to a screening i want to get there early so i get a good seat but then i, I wish it's like i never have the foresight to bring along some earbuds or something some oh, no, yeah, I earbuds think, um i said that my my personal hell is the space between me taking out my earbuds and the movie starting but forever yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's what hell would be for me yeah and it's, um, and, it's uh, and it's so frustrating i hate i hate being that person and i always I, I wish that i could i mean as i talked about in the the last movie journal I almost never talk to people after the the film unless it's someone I know, like Amy Nicholson and I talked for like 20 minutes about 12 Years a Slave afterwards. And it was great because I know Amy and I know the way she approaches film. And even though she some, sometimes by her own admission, her tone in her reviews will be a little bit snarky. She still is, I think, is remarkably insightful. And so and I think she approaches each each film on its own terms. And if it doesn't work, so be it. But then when I was talking after a most violent year with that one woman and <laughs> I literally said one thing and she jumped all over it in a way that's just like, okay, she's not looking to have a conversation. Right, she saw right, what right. I said is somehow as a re- refutation of what she said. And she immediately looked to undercut it. And I feel like that, I, and I feel like that is a, almost an occupational hazard. The one, cause you said the idea of like critics don't risk anything. They do. That's what I want to get back they to. They risk their let's, credibility. Let's get back to that. Yeah. And um, if they don't, because yeah, if I'm 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 putting something out there, I I feel like I'm risking. I mean, maybe not as much because not as many people will see it as yeah. if if I were acting in a movie. But um, I'm putting myself out there. Yeah, 
Um, and uh, I, I want more and more people to see it, but that also is terrifying to me because it is, it is a risk. Someone could call oh, me yeah. on some shit and be right about it. And I have to, I have to be prepared for that. And I also have to be prepared for all the people who call me on shit. That's more about them. Um, <laughs> which yeah. I went through recently with the multiple people not liking my opinion on interstellar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I do, I guess, um, if you view criticism as being, um, and I'm not saying that anyone, and this is a, an exaggeration, but let's say to its logical extreme, if a film critics review is to find, okay, there is one, correct summation and opinion on this movie right and i will find it and present it and that will be the final word if that is how you print how you approach movies i don't know that i'm not sure that anyone well maybe not anyone there probably are a few i don't think many people go that far i can far. think one or two <laughs> many people go that far but let's say that's it um then yeah maybe you're not risking risking anything because you're not putting yourself out there but when i am writing a review it's uh, I've said before that I I don't think I should have to say I don't think I should ever have to write the words in my opinion in a movie review. Yeah. It's got my name at the top of it. It's it's not a it's not a, a news item, you yeah. know. I'm not like reporting on what the president said at his press conference. Yeah. It's clearly my opinion. Not which, only is it not definitive, it also might not even be definitive for you. Like there are some movies that I, that I have a positive reaction to and I can't even immediately pinpoint why. And oh, my yeah, review and my review winds up being kind of an exploration of my reaction to it. And that's as far as I can go. I can't even yeah. put a, a fine point on why I responded that way. Yeah. I wrote, I mean, I, uh, like I said before, I generally write around 700 words for review. I think I wrote a thousand words on inherent vice and I don't feel I'm not happy with what I wrote. But I don't know that I, I'm not as happy as I have been with other stuff, but I don't know that I could have done any better. It's just, that's a very tough movie to put into yeah. even a thousand words. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what was I going with this? Okay. Yeah. So I'm putting my opinion now in some cases, uh, you, or you could make the case that by saying, Hey, it's just my opinion. I'm actually distancing myself from criticism. Yeah. But, um, uh, that's not how I choose to. Uh, present it because I want to engage. So I feel like by putting it out as my opinion, I'm putting out something much more personal than, uh, than just, oh, yeah. um, here's what you need to know about the movie and here's if it's good or not. Yeah. Um, I, I want to have, you know, one of the guys who got on my case about interstellar, not, not our, not our friend Benj. Oh, I don't care for that. You will, you'll get used to his name cause I'm going to say it all the time. Uh, now that I know he's listening again. Yeah, absolutely. Benj, this one's for you. Benj, no, this isn't for add, you. add another syllable there. Um, <laughs> like, Obenj? That's the one. Right. Um, so, uh, like, one of the guys on on Twitter who wanted to get on my case about Interstellar, he was, frankly, being a jerk mm-hmm. at first. Okay. And I, like... He happened to start on a morning when I had an appointment with my therapist that afternoon. Oh, boy. Uh, and so I actually, like, I talked about it, uh, the fact this guy's, like, being a jerk, and I'm trying to, like, 
in, engage him. Uh, and I'm like uh, just trying to work through with my therapist. Like, why am I trying to engage this person? Um, and I'm not sure, you know, a therapy session is like an episode of battleship retention. You don't actually get to an answer at the end. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I did end up sticking with the conversation long enough to eventually get the guy to actually have the conversation with me as opposed to just being a jerk to me. Um, and I, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back and maybe I am. Um, but that's, uh, that's, that's what I want to do. And I, I feel like I, I publish every review that I write on the website or I say everything that I say on the podcast um, with the understanding this could lead to a further, further conversation. And I have to be open to that. Yeah. That's a rule that I've set for myself. Um, So yeah, I I feel like this episode has become specifically, why do we do this? This has gotten kind of personal about us. um, As one could make the argument that when talking about criticism, it is inherently personal. It should, this should, I, I, this think conversation, it sh- I think it should be. Yeah. This conversation should turn personal. Um, because that is, that is the difference between an artist and a critic is that an artist can be personal if they want to be. Now I do, I am of the opinion that an artist is always kind of personal, but you never know. There could be studio calculation in there and, and the director is not really allowed to put a lot of themselves into a film. Right. Or he's um, Zack Snyder. Right. Um, <laughs> that's not true. I mean, no, I, think, he's, I think he puts a lot of personal philosophy into his films. Do you? That's a different, I again, mean, in all of his films. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm remarkably proud of our Zack Snyder episode. I think because we give, we give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think we, for myself, I came to the conclusion of like, if you watch 300 and sucker punch again, remarkably stupid movies, but I think you actually get a pretty good view of his, of the way he views the, the, the difference between the sexes and the way they appro- approach goals and the different limitations that each of them have. Like, I think there's interesting again, stupid as hell, but I think there's interesting stuff going on there. I think he actually is putting a lot of himself in his films for good or well, ill. Well, certainly in, in soccer punch. I won't yeah. disagree with you about that. That's, that is his, um, and that's his personal masterpiece and it's terrible, yeah. but it's also a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think you're going to, so the thing is, so I don't mean to, uh, diminish artists because you are probably going to put a lot of yourself, uh, into your, your art. I feel like you have no choice, but a lot of audiences, they'll look at the film and they don't necessarily know to see a lot of the filmmaker there. They will just look at the film on its own Mm -hmm. and they won't look at it as like an authorial statement. Whereas a critic you're not speaking on, you're not having a, uh, a character speak for you. You're not incorporating a narrative into your review. This is you saying a thing. And there you, yeah, that's, was, that was my initial reaction to this, those two scenes in Birdman mm-hmm. is that these are actors who get up there and say someone else's words. Yeah. A critic is putting her in this case, her own words yeah. uh, out there. There's not, there's not that um, middle middleman. No, no, that, or the that's one of my favorite super yeah there you go. <laughs> um but that's the thing and i find myself and uh, you know for those that listen that are filmmakers or writers or whatever feel free to to correct me but i i feel like people are much more likely to say to a critic oh you only like that movie because blank and it's always going to be a discussion about your personal mm-hmm. bias now of course 
there's plenty of personal bias in movies, but people sure. are, seem to be more okay with that. But the idea of like, oh, you only liked such and such, or you didn't like such and such, such, such and such a film because, uh, in my case, it's because, oh, because you're a Christian. And, and of course that's a, you didn't like religious just cause you're a Christian. It's like, well, okay, maybe. Uh, and I, and I, and that's the thing, it's my responsibility as a critic to entertain that notion and instead of just dismiss it. You don't necessarily have to like, you're not supposed to leave everything of yourself at the door. Right. Uh, that's why there's so many critics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I guess that's, this can be the final part of our conversation because we could wrap okay. up soon. Um, I think there being so many critics of so many different ilks and stripes um, is both good and bad. I think it's good because you can get so many um, different voices and also you can find the ones that um, mean a lot to you. But it also means you can do what you what people can do with news now which is just cherry pick right. the stuff that are that doesn't challenge the way you think so right. i guess part of it is in the reader's hands to um to allow him or herself to be challenged yeah uh but i don't know what do you think of that i think that is a uh a, a, a peril um that somebody has uh but i will say that i can't think i mean can you think of any critic that you and of course you you probably seek out a variety but um even if there's one that you feel like this is my guy i mean has there ever been somebody who you are completely in lockstep with them every no. step of the way and that wouldn't be my guy anyway right my guy would be the one whose reviews uh or gal sure sorry. <laughs> my guy or gal would be the one whose uh reviews um make me uh rethink or make me excited about film right. more often. So they might often be someone who repeatedly disagrees uh, with whom I repeatedly disagree. And I feel like that, I think that is the comfort that I have is that while, because news is theoretically objective and then you seek out only the, the, the outlets that have the type of bias that appeals to you in the way it's presenting fact when it comes to interpretation, you know, God help me for saying this, but people are snowflakes. There are no two that are exactly alike. Right. You could find a guy who's outlet, who's, who's exactly like you. I could find a critic out there that is Christian, politically conservative, loves character driven film, but is also open to like, I could literally go that detailed. I could go to a a critic who is exactly like me and has my exact same top 10. And there's no guarantee that he would like, uh, Birdman or Moneyball. There's no guarantee of that. Yeah. Because in the end, everybody also has different life experiences and different and different temperaments. And, like, and they might have seen the movie at different times. Exactly. Absolutely. It's like uh, Dr. Malcolm running the drip of water down Laura, Laura Dern's hand. And so I feel like because of that, uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I appreciate your uh, invocation. Nobody talks about that scene. I actually like that scene quite a bit. I think that might be my favorite scene in the movie. That's an exaggeration. But that's one of the scenes that always sticks with me, that has always stuck with me the most. Yeah. Um, also because, because it's an incredibly, it's like a, scene that has a lot to do with the themes of the story yeah but it's also an incredibly like sensual like scene they're both yeah. they're two very like earthy and present actors being yeah. flirtatious with one another there's a lot of it's a very electric scene i'm not a huge fan of uh jurassic park at least from a character standpoint but it is cast really well 
I'll say that. Anyway, moving on. Um, but yeah, uh, the hell was I talking? Oh yeah. So because of that, even if you find, even if you insulate yourself and only find the critics that you quote unquote like, you're still going to be challenged. You yeah. Know? I, I love. That's why we do this. Well, I'm so, this isn't a video show. What did you just do? I just did a little. Uh, like a rim shot. Rim shot because yeah. we, we put a button on the episode. Is that it? Okay. I mean, you I didn't realize. Say. I didn't realize that's what I was saying. Uh, it, it, just that, like, you know, uh, people. I'm a big. I, I really like going to. I think it's siskel-ebert.com or .org. I don't remember exactly. If you Google it, you'll you'll be fine. And it's this guy that's How been do you posting. Spell Siskel? I'm joking. <laughs> I think it's C I S Q O. I might I think be. You think of the thong song guy? That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> He's surprisingly insightful with his film right. reviews, but. Uh, but basically this website just posts old episodes of Siskel and Ebert and it's wonderful. I love hearing them talk. And just when you, and just when you think like, Oh, I, you know, it's like Gene Siskel has such an interesting view of film and the movies that he absolutely loves. And then he'll hate a movie that you think is wonderful. Right. Yeah. And, and I just like, how did you, how can you be so on point with these other things? And and so far off with Clifford, for example, how can you love Dumb and Dumber well, and Kingpin? How can he say Kingpin is one is in his top 10 of that year and think Clifford is an absolute travesty? One of the worst of the year. We, we talked about it before. There are just certain brands of comedy that right. critics, it, it always seems like it needs, it's not until the next wave yeah. of critics comes along. Like, you know, Wet Hot American Summer has like a 29% Rotten That's Tomatoes true. or something. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's one of the best comedies of all time. And that's not me judge. Uh, that's not even necessarily me judging him. But what fascinating, what I'm saying is like, it's like, I thought I knew who you were and what you like. And based on what I thought I knew, I assumed this thing would happen. But it, I thought you were going to zig. Instead, you zagged. And now... I'm a little bit confused. So now I'm, and now we're coming to the, now I have to come to the conclusion that you and I are still very similar. We still want the same things, but we can differ completely. And you're not the same person and I don't have to murder you. That's what you're saying now. Yes. Okay. I say it with a great deal of trepidation because it's, it's my first instinct most of the time, (laughs) but that's the thing. And if you, if, if, uh, if I may, uh, get a little bit lofty right now, uh, such is the case with any meaningful relationship, uh, including like I've known you for 15 years at this point. That's true. Which is, which is crazy. And so, uh, you know, if you and I were to talk about like a specific movie or or a band or something like that, and I would, and I, I feel like I know you, even though you and I are hardly in lockstep when it comes to like the movies we love, I feel like I know your taste well enough to know if you're going to like something or not. And then sometimes you throw me for a loop. I'm like, okay, you know what? I guess you never really know anybody that well, but that's great. That's a good thing. Like people should surprise you. It's the same with, it's the same with Jen. Like we've been married almost 10 years now and you'd think after the thing I always go back to is like, how are we still arguing? It's 10 years. Like, like at the very least, how is it that we've not both started kind of just naturally veering towards the center so that we still, I still kind of like the stuff she likes and she kind of likes the stuff I like. 
whereas 10 years ago, we vehemently hated certain things about the other person's taste. How is that still the case? Right. Uh, but it is, and that's good because it requires you to grow as a person, you know? And so, uh, and that's the thing is I do feel like when you engage with, with a critic, you are engaging with a person and it can be a relationship and, and it can be challenging and it can be fun. And that's David, that's why we do this. There you go. <laughs> you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at the pretension, and you can and should follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Um, Tyler, uh, your other uh, podcast is called More Than One Lesson. What's going on there this week? Well, uh, I want to reiterate that a couple of weeks ago we were uh, reviewed Saving Christmas in a review that people say is remarkably. Uh, even keeled, even though I do say on the show that I hate the movie and I think it is horrible. Um, and it's one of those things that just by without realizing, have you ever like just started talking and you find yourself with a tone of voice and you're like, how did I get here again? Yeah. Or talk, writing. I do that writing. Yeah. And yeah. talking about saving Christmas, I find that I'm talking like this and I, and I realize like, Oh, I was, I was, I was just here five minutes ago and I tried to get away from there. Now here I am again, but, uh, a recent, but the most recent episode is about, uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus gods and Kings in which we perhaps unfairly compare it, uh, unfavorably of course to Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. That's um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, and, and I think we're pretty, I think we're pretty but, even handed on that one too. But I mean, I know what you mean by unfair, but. I'll be honest, which movie has the bigger CGI alligators? It's not Lawrence of Arabia. Well, here's the CGI the alligators in Lawrence of Arabia. They, are they added another system. 10 minutes, uh, <laughs> okay. but the alligators are uh, matte paintings. <laughs> uh, my other podcast is called Hey, Watch This. It's about television. This week we're doing our uh, second annual Christmas episode where instead of picking uh, episodes of TV that are airing this week, we're picking some of our favorite uh, classic Christmas episodes. Um, Paul is making me watch a Laverne and Shirley episode called Christmas in the Booby Hatch. Second time this episode I've used that, used that word. Oh. Um, and I am making Paul watch uh, the Christmas episode from season one of the West Wing in Excelsis Deo. Oh, man. Which is one of the greatest of all time. You know what one of my favorite Christmas episodes is that perhaps you guys can watch next week? Okay. Uh, sorry, next year. Is uh, the animated uh, Tick where okay. he fights, uh, there's basically a, a, a criminal who dresses up like Santa to hide from the cops, and then he accidentally uh, electrocutes himself and then can right. make uh, make copies of himself, and so uh, he's a villain called Multiple Santa, and the Tick believes in Santa Claus and will and will not will not fight this guy because he doesn't like the idea of hitting Santa Claus in the face, and uh, it's a wonderful episode. Um, yeah, um, last year I made, uh, I chose the Sopranos episode to save us all from Satan's power and Paul chose a community episode that I think was called Abed's smug, unfunny, faux heartwarming Christmas. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> um, it's like Abed's list of reasons. David continues not to get what people like about community. See, I think that's what it's called. This is what we're talking about is I, I think community can be a very good show. I think it's not as I will say this, that there are some episodes that are genuinely powerful thematically and emotionally, but I don't think it's quite as deep as it thinks it is. Um, that episode's pretty good though. I I actually I respond pretty well to I it. I didn't enjoy it. They're, they're gimmick episodes. If they incorporate something into it, 
the like if they incorporate a theme into it, I feel like the theme tends to be a little simplistic, and that one is no exception. But I still, yeah. but the theme is one that I that still resonates with me, and so I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, and and I do appreciate their commitment to the type of thing that they're doing. I think it looks. I think the the episode oh, that looks episode? beautiful. Yeah. 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 All right, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 